Hello, 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 good people of Europe. So today we've actually got our first listener case study live on the show. Well, which essentially came to be by me finding Nicolas, our amazing case study of today online on Reddit and commenting in a really cool way on one of the questions we posted and reaching out to him and asking like, hey, would you be up for a case study? Um, like going through your personal situation and all the questions you've got and see if we can answer them. So like kind of out of that, I got the recording started and actually started to talk for way longer than planned. So we actually um, yeah, like this recording will consist of two different episodes. Today you're listening to episode number one which um, is going to cover how to invest in ETFs what kind of ETF uh, to pick like kind of roughly how to evaluate them and how the heck do you get a broker like what kind of broker is right for a person in what kind of situation that's what we roughly cover in this episode and the next one will be yeah, published next week afterwards thank you very much and I really hope you enjoy the show goodbye Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Alvar Erminta Matias. So hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Um, this is actually going to be our first case study episode. And uh, with us, I've got our guest of today, Nicholas. Hi, Nicholas. Hello there. And my amazing co-hosts, Matthias. Grüß Gott. <laughs> and our awesome female part of the podcast, Araminta. Hola. And me, obviously, Alvar Goeiemorgen, as we say in the Netherlands. Yeah, so this is actually pretty exciting because it's the first time we're going to run a case study. And this is essentially a listener, uh, Nicolas, reached out to us on Reddit, found them through that and has a few really interesting questions. And we're like, hey, let's propose to do a case study because it would be a really good way to answer um, a few questions a lot of people have got going on and at the same time have a fun uh, experience and help Nicolas at the same time. So how this is roughly going to go is... We prepared a few questions and Nicholas is going to throw the, those at us and we're just going to answer them. We can pick our brains and we're going to have like a round the table approach. We will answer it and hope in the end it will uh, provide some amazing value for the listeners. Uh, just to get started, it would be really uh, nice to know a little bit more about Nicholas. Nicholas, can you give us like a little bit of an idea where you're from, how you found about FIRE? How did you find the podcast? I'm a married 30-year-old IT engineer. I've been living in the Netherlands for the past uh, six years now. Originally from Romania. But I have also lived uh, in the UK. And the FIRE uh, podcast, I found it from, from the FIRE movement. Initially, I uh, came across the, the Dutch FIRE and then the Financial uh, uh, Finance EU, uh, also Reddit um, subdirectory. Sub from one to another, I was like, okay, well, I drive quite a lot uh, throughout the day. So how can I, you know, learn about a FIRE in my spare time? And then that's how I came across uh, your podcast as well as your blog. And then... Uh, yeah, the, the the big community now that is kind of growing over the last, I think it's 10, 12 years now. And that's pretty nice. Yeah, in, in the US, it's been growing for like 10, 12 years. In the EU, we're still small, but it's it's growing really fast now. That's awesome. And from my understanding, you've got quite a decent background knowledge on all the numbers and the terms, right? Because we talked yesterday a little bit and, you know, you already explained so many things that most people find really complicated. So, um, you know, we can really go in depth a little bit today. So you've got our brains available. What would be the first thing you would like to know? So I think that the first thing, I think, is you have to start somewhere, right? So to start somewhere, you have to get yourself a broker. Now, you know, initially and traditionally, what I thought that, you know, if I want to invest money, I will go to a financial advisor or an investment broker. 
broker and I'll you know I'll pay that person some money and then he'll give him I'll give him a big uh, bag stack of money and then he will go into the investment and then everyone is happy uh, and you know I will retire on a beach somewhere uh, but the reality is that it's not like that. And uh, from what I've came across and also read uh, in, in one or two books is that actually a lot of the investment advisors, they're not really that good or they don't really, they're not that effective and they're only effective at charging a lot of fees. So with that, I decided to look into, can I do it myself? And being in the Netherlands, um, there are a few brokers here, a handful of brokers all offering, I think, well, the same service, you invest your money, you choose how risk adverse you are, and then, um, you know, you can just start depositing. The only thing is, is that, well, some of them have like this fees. So, you know, how how do you determine and how do you compare, you know, um, which which brokers and uh, are better than the others? You know, there's like fund costs, service fees, purchasing costs, etc. So for me as a newbie to this in, in, in that respect, it's like, okay, uh, is there any rule of thumb or best practices when choosing a broker? From my point of view, um, there are some comparison sites in the internet for each, I think, each of the countries. Um, it's still a local thing. So if you're living in the Netherlands, there will be also some comparison sites. So, but there I would be kind of, you can also not trust every comparison site, I would say. But there you can filter and you can see if there are um, hidden costs. And what kind of costs do you have for different amounts of transactions? For example, in Germany, there is there are a couple of brokers, and there's I think there are two roads you can go. You can go for the cheapest one, or you can go for the more fair broker, which has a good service, which has no hidden fees, but maybe slightly more expensive on on the transaction side. Or you can have the real cheap ones like DeGiro or or Fladex, for example. I think Fladex is also available in, in Netherlands now, but they have some hidden fees. For example, if you get dividends from the US, you have to pay a, a hidden fee. So you have to really take that into um, consideration. But in the end, I think if, if it's a cheap broker, it doesn't matter so much which one you choose. I think it's a pretty good one. And what I would also like to ask, uh, Nicholas, like in the end, what are your goals with FIRE and with a broker? Because like that's a really important thing to get started with like what do you want to accomplish with it so for me is that um, you know I, I since the financial crash in 2008 and that was just before I started to 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 actually work professionally um, I it became apparent that you know a lot of people have lost their pensions or at least the pensions got greatly reduced uh, when they were approaching retirement age and then for me I was like well you know I don't trust the pension system anymore therefore you know for me for my my goal and strategy for fire is to say you know, okay, in 20 years time, I want to have, you know, some sort of income that I can you know, sustain myself, you know, in let's say Romania or uh, Southern Europe somewhere where, you know, I can just relax and enjoy life. Some to you arbitrage. Yes, exactly. So we're working with like a 20 year time frame uh, in terms of like, you know, what a broker should hold stocks. And are you more like a research savvy person? Do you like to research all the things yourself or would you really like just, you know, like a broker that does everything for you and has like prep packages and explanations and tutorials and courses on a website? Or are you more like, hey, you know, give me a DeGiro, I'll do the work myself, just go as cheap as possible? That's also a very good question. And that's also what I'm kind of like um, coming to the realization that, you know, is this something that I want to be spending, you know, a, a fair amount of my time. I mean, so far I am a beginner of this, so it, it, it's, it's taking a lot of effort and time to research into it. And you know, I'm with you guys on this podcast, uh, 
to, to, to find out more and how we can invest better. So then this is also one of the comparisons here. You know, it's like what are the differences and what are the advantages and disadvantages? Is it that much of a difference between a managed broker or one that you manage yourself? I was in the similar situation as you about a year ago. I just started really recently and I still consider myself a beginner. And honestly, I think what I would recommend is to start simple, start easy, and then you can once you understand that, you can get a bit more specific and a bit more nerdy, like Oliver, if you want. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started very simple. You know, I just put my money into index funds and I still do this every single month and I don't worry about it. I don't do anything else. I do a bit of experimenting with peer-to-peer and other stuff. But honestly, when it comes to stocks, I just do index funds because honestly, I don't feel confident enough to start picking stocks or dividend uh, aristocrats or whatever it is. And my recommendation would be to start really simple, you know, just index funds and then read about it, educate yourself and then get a bit more complicated as the years go on. Both Matthias and Alvar are much more knowledgeable about um, stock investing. So they, they do their own stuff. But me personally, I just do index funds. I don't worry about anything else. Would you agree with that, um, Alvar and Matthias? For me, um, I would agree with it. So one maybe one asset class at a time and start with the, with the simple one. So it's, it doesn't hurt to start with ETFs and then read about ETFs. And then when you have that in place, you can do some experiments for like you could say, okay, now I will put a dividend stock portfolio in place or you can go, you can uh, learn like take one or two years to learn about real estate. Because if you, for example, prepare now with real estate, you can really go maybe in three years, it's it's getting cheaper and you, you have all the knowledge in place. Also there, you can also start small, like buying a garage or something like that. And then you can also buy a home or some, some flats. And if you then stay in Romania, you have maybe some, some flats in, in the Netherlands that um, bring you some cash flow every month. So, but, but at first I would start with, with simple stuff like um, ETFs and then later on learn a bit about stocks uh, with uh, small amounts, use P2P to maybe to earn some cash flow. Um, so one thing at a time. I totally agree with that. And honestly, if you try and do everything at once, it gets very overwhelming. When I discovered financial independence and the personal finance world, I was like, oh my God, I have to do everything now. And I did that for like a month and it was so overwhelming. It was so like, oh my God, I need to do all these different things that I ended up not doing anything. So really recommend starting with one asset class, ideally index funds, because they're really simple. Start with, or index funds or ETFs, they're similar. Um, start with one. And once you really understand that one, and once you're really happy with that, you move on to the next one. I think that's that's good advice. I also think this is a really fair way of approaching it. Like, yes, you absolutely have to learn how to assess ETFs, etc. But in the end, it's, it's a learning process and just getting some money into the system, see it grow, see it change, is a really good way to get a bit of like a feeling with it and yeah no just starting simple and working from there agree with that but what's also nicholas correct me if i'm wrong but really important for you like you know yes you want it part but you also really want to learn like how do i assess those etfs and how do i go ahead from that that's correct yes so you know i've already opened up with the giro account uh i've actually transferred then 15 euros in that probably a bit naive actually because when i'm looking around at the and again this was my first time and i was like everyone says yeah yes yes uh, you know the giro is easy to go with it is flexible 
flexible. It's low fees or no fees in some cases. So, okay, let's do that. Open an account, transfer some money. And then uh, when I'm looking, okay, well, uh, let's say everyone's obviously, because initially I started, you know, with the, with the U.S. Uh, side and the majority of the books, a majority of the advice is from the U.S. So everyone's like, you know, Vanguard, Vanguard. Okay, let's do that. Let's have a look at the Vanguard uh, ETFs. And then, okay, well, this looks good. I mean, is this a price for one ETF? Is it correct what I'm seeing here? And then, you know, how do I actually assess it if, it, if it's, you know, what the fees are? And then I came across like the, the key investor information document. They are attached to some um, ETFs. But then it's like, okay, well, how do I actually assess this? How, how can I tell if it's a good or not? ETF is there like some sort of a rating system somewhere or like a comparison I had a presentation recently of a of a new robo advisor and he told me that we have the cheaper the ETF is the better they are <laughs> so as a rule of thumb, um, if you have some 0.5 expense rate um, it's maybe not so good than a Uh, 0.2 ETF. And so that's the rule of thumb. And the best ETFs are also the biggest ones. So where the most people put their money into it, because then you are sure that they still exist in 10 years. And also for Europe, I would say Vanguard is a good choice uh, right now. Um, if they are, you can, you can get the European uh, ETFs from Vanguard, which have their uh, location in Ireland. That's uh, always a good way to go. You also have to say which strategy you want to go with ETFs. If you want to just diversify as much as possible or having such a world portfolio, as some people call it. That's pretty easy. Um, you, for example, if you go to the website Just ETF, they have also some example ETFs or some example portfolios where you can see the performance of the recent years. I'm not sure if Just ETF is also available in, in the Netherlands, but yeah, there's it's English, or well, German, English, and Italian. Okay, but you have to, you can use the English English version of the site, and then you can click on like example portfolios, and you can see, for example, like a Portfolio with 70% um, stock ETF and 30% uh, bonds. And then you can see also which ones are included in in this portfolio. That would be one starting point. So in terms of like what ETF do you pick in the end? Um, actually on the Dutch Fire subreddit, there have been some great discussions on like, okay, I can't buy Vanguard ETFs anymore. Where do I go? How do I find a way around it? And lots of people suggesting like, hey, open up a broker in the UK or other things. But, you know, without going up to like unrealistic ways, there have been some really good suggestions and the subreddit uh, themselves. Um, a few things to throw in or VWRL uh, is like a really wide broker that actually also a Vanguard or a broad ETF market one also actually offered by Vanguard that you can still buy via um, the Giro and that's the one most people seem to be using around on the blogs. The reason why it covers kind of the same as uh, VDI and VXUS but it's the expense ratio is a bit higher and it's bit less diversified and not as big but that's the one most people have been using as a setter and forget approach so say set and forget and just throw your pile your money in there uh, that would be a good ETF to uh, use one important thing to throw in we might say this or suggest this but please 
always do your own research if you throw your money into this ETF. And one of a good way to do that is just simply Googling the ticker will add it to the show notes and diving into the prospectus and getting an idea of how the uh, money is divided, which stocks are a part of the ETF. Uh, that's really important to mention because this might be suitable for somebody, but it doesn't mean it's for everybody. The, that's kind of like how I would go ahead with that. So the VWRL uh, and there are a few Dutch subreddit discussions that are, are really good in comparison that we will add to uh, the show notes. And there's one article by a Dutch blogger uh, that really like goes into depth and like analyzes, all right, um, if I got those three options, he picks from he picks an option from iShares, from Vanguard, and uh, from Fidelity, and goes through them and like compares them in terms of expense ratios and taxes in the Netherlands, and like which one is most suitable for the set and forget approach, which most investors kind of like in the Netherlands uh, to go with. Um, does that work as an answer, uh, Nicolas? That is actually really perfect because it's like, you know, okay, well, there's so many around, you know, and then it's always like, okay, well, you know, like, do I start from A to Z and do I start reading documentation about all of those? The other thing that, you know, is that if, if we take us, I looked at uh, actually those two, uh, Vanguard S&P, which you can still buy. So the Vanguard S&P 500, uh, UCITS ETF, and then the iShares uh, MS, uh, MSCI EM UCITS. The truth is I have no idea what the uh, acronyms stand for. But um, what I did notice is that, for example, the Vanguard S&P 500, which you can still buy some, looking in the uh, KII document, it has it mentions that it has a 0.07% ongoing charge taken from the fund over a year. Does this mean that regardless if the fund is making profit or not, you will be charged that 0.07% per year or uh, every time you're, let's say, when you're buying more uh, from the fund in, into the fund? All right, so those are actually two different things. You've got the ongoing charge of the, you know, your broker, maintenance fees, etc., purchasing shares. That's the part of the broker in terms of cost and what you're referring to is the expense ratio. So what was it, 0.07? Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. yeah, so that's indeed, that's an ongoing charge in every single year. That's simply the charge to keep the ETF running. And that's how companies like Vanguard uh, make money. Um, so yeah, just as the maintenance cost. So that one will keep coming back. Um, and then you've got the cost of the broker itself, which you know can either be purchasing the ETF, the Giro actually over a thousand euro. It's free to purchase ETFs, which is amazing. We're not recommending them straight on the spot, but I personally quite like that. But yeah, no, indeed. So if you purchase, say you want to buy for a thousand euro uh, with PinkBank or whatever, for, uh, you indeed you pay a portion or a transaction fee towards the broker, and also when you sell, you pay again. Uh, and some brokers also have a maintenance fee. My cause Matthias wants to add something on top of this. Uh, you want to add something, Matthias? So you asked about this UCITS. It just means that they are regulated by the European Union. And so I would go for um, ETFs that have this in their name. I also had a question for Nicolas. Are you opening your DeGiro account in a tax-sheltered vehicle? Like, are you using the Netherlands version of something that protects you from taxes? Yes, so I, I have opened my uh, here within the Netherlands, yes. Just also want to say something because you're saying about, you know, the Dutch regulators have now restricted the, the which vanguards you can buy. And, you know, one of the comments was that you can, you know, open up an account in, in the UK. But the thing is that you re there's quite some stringent requirements 
and uh, from what I've seen in opening up, let's say, the Giro account in, in the UK or in Ireland. So it's not really as straightforward as that, correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. As a European citizen, you are able to do it, but it's not easy. And like in, in, in that sense, it's, it's not something advisable unless you have like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of euros and it actually makes a difference. Um, but yeah, that was, was one of the alternative suggestions and uh, to also pitch in like a bit on what Araminta said. In terms of tax shelter accounts, we do have a version of that in the Netherlands, but it's the UK is really the place where those things are really like made big and you've got like something available in the Netherlands is really limited. And actually most employees invest uh, the, in their tax shelter accounts via their employer. So their employer makes a deal with another bank and people... Um, simply add money every single month and that company takes care of it all and you do have a bit of flexibility in picking like hey you know i want to go for a risky approach or for a really conservative one but that's generally speaking how it goes in the netherlands so nicholas correct me if i'm wrong but your zero account is not a tax sheltered account right it's opened in the netherlands but i have no idea what that means uh, i need to look into that <laughs> oh absolutely no but i'll clarify that quickly but before we dive into uh, the swamp somewhere <laughs> go too far away but in essence in the Netherlands you also got tax shelter that you can open up as a person pension sparen bank sparen in Dutch or um, yeah jaarruimte um, those are like the Dutch terms um, for it and companies like the Giro Bing Bank offer you the option to like save a bit of money a couple thousand every year and it's protected from the capital gains sorry capital gains wealth tax and in that way you know you can save for your pension without paying a crazy tax over it and up front uh, you know you save tax because you can uh, invest money and uh, pay no income tax over that. So that combination makes it quite attractive uh, for investors, but we're not going to dive too far into that. And I think Araminta wants to join in now. Yeah, I just think it is actually quite important because, uh, for example, in the UK, you cannot open an ISA through the zero. So I'm not interested in, in investing in the zero because I cannot protect it from taxes. As an early adopter, I always had the problem that in the beginning, there are complicated solutions, but they so you can do innovative things. So what I just want to suggest is to wait until you can do what you wanted to do. For example, um, if you can't buy a Vanguard in, in, in the Netherlands now, I'm pretty sure that in a year you can do because many people want to buy it. And when Vanguard has also a, a natural interest to, uh, to be available in the Netherlands, so they will find a way to offer you the solution. So you could just maybe wait for it or take another ETF, yeah, I would nah. not wait a year. I would invest in something else. And then when, once it appears, then invest in it. But yeah, waiting like a year that. to invest, yep. you might lose a year of potential compound interest. Yes, so. you, yeah, you couldn't you just use another, the second best ETF. And then once it's there, you can just uh, use the Vanguard. And to slowly finish this up, because we've got lots more to cover for today, Armand, also made a really good comment in terms of like the tax sheltered accounts. Absolutely true. But don't forget, like the, your money will be locked up until you're like 55 or 60. And for a lot of people, like the purpose, you know, they need it in 10 and 15 years to retire or to go to Spain and relax on a beach or to start their own business. It's if you can't take it out, you're like within 20 years and it's locked up all nice and good. It's tax sheltered, but uh, then you lose the actual function or purpose of it. So for that reason, um, it can always it can make sense to go tax sheltered and non tax sheltered uh, because, you know, in the short term, you will need the cash flow out of your investments. But uh, anyway, I think that 
kind of answers it. Um, Nicolas, would that be a good answer to your question? That's a very good answer. And, and it, it, it's also something to, to you know, we put it in perspective that, okay, it's not just a matter of opening up with a Jira account, but actually, are there any other benefits or are there any other ways of opening up a, you know, like a, a, another a digital account from another product you know that they have in this case like a savings account absolutely and on a final note on this uh really good comment by the way on the different kinds of accounts so yes you can absolutely open up different accounts by a different broker so and that's a good one to mention because you know i would personally always start with the most basic version when you get started and then when once you get more advanced you can go along and uh, like the Giro, like personally, I find a great broker to start out with because they're simple, they're cheap. And Bing Bank and uh, Links.nl, they're great, but they're more like full service brokers. So, you know, once you've got like 200K or once you go want to go a bit more fancy or try different strategies or like learn more or like have cool charts available, then they're the great ones to go with. But for now, the Giro is really like personally, I think, most suitable for you. Frohes Fest! Merry Christmas and Joyeux Noël. Feliz Navidad. Ho, ho, ho. We start our mega giveaway Christmas challenge. Hello, everyone. So, yeah, we've got a very exciting giveaway challenge here at Financial Independence Europe podcast uh, taking place in the next three weeks. And the winners will be announced on the 23rd of December. But one second, Alvar, why again are we doing this giveaway? Really good question, Araminta. So we actually got a couple of reasons. We just really like to spread the word of FI, connect with more people around the EU, and also, to be blunt, get a couple more iTunes reviews. But I'm also curious, Matthias, how the heck do I do this? How do I participate? It's very simple. You just go to xmas.financial-independence.eu and you find all the details written there. And by the way, the more you share, the more love you get from Araminta and all of us. Yeah, very important. The more you share, the more points you get, more likely you are to win. And wait, what are you exactly supposed to win? So the prizes are, number one, a free ticket to a financial independence retreat next year. Very exciting. The second prize is one hour of coaching with the one and only Ken, founder of the award-winning site, The Humble Penny. Or you can also have one hour of coaching with us, the Fight Europe team. Third prize is the sustainable frugal package, some cool items from Amazon, very excited. And you will get that delivered uh, at your doorstep. Fourth prize are some hand-picked top financial independence books. And for everyone who enters a bonus episode for 2019, no more saying anything there. If you want more details, go to xmas.financial-independence.eu and you'll find more information there. Looking forward to hearing from you and Merry Christmas. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.